Welcome to Cabin Minute Cast. The scenario has been chosen. The ritual has begun. We are ready to appease the old gods, one minute at a time. I'm Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com. Hey, and I'm Molly Balin of LittleRedMark.com. And so today we are covering episode 20 of the movie The Cabin in the Woods. And this episode slash minute is uh, all about a workplace drama. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) This is like the sketchy control room version of Parks and Rec, only without all the heart. (laughs) Oh my god. You know, I just realized I was saying to Molly... um, off mic just before we started recording that this whole um intro that i do i really like it but i it's a little challenging to say old gods and i realize because the gods part is really challenging to say without getting a real vocal fry there and i have a bit of a vocal fry which i don't mind sometimes it's just natural but it really comes in when i say gods you can hear that you know that kind of breaking up that happens and i think it's just the way it is so it'll be interesting to kind of go back and listen to all these minutes and see how that how i kind of play around with that word (laughs) each time because it's it's kind of fun to try to try to put a little different spin on it so anyways there's just a little behind the scenes stuff for you i feel like there's a lot of that in harry potter that enunciation of the the D's and the G's, like McGonagall, there's a lot of that hard, oh, you know, right. you know, hard O's and yeah, the with the language and it's old gods because it's yeah. it's really nasally. I don't know the whole yeah, it, it lives up in in nasal cavity land and that's hard to enunciate. Yeah, interesting. You say that it lives up in nasal cavity land because I've, I, I used to be a singing instructor, and so I think for me, I'm trained so much um, to stay in my. I mean, I could go up to these that higher place where you are kind of talking out of your your nasal zone, but um, your nasal labial folds. <laughs> but for me, old gods. <laughs> to me, old gods seems really more down in my um my throat so Mm. yeah it's different it's different for me but we're two different people we're gonna have two different experiences (laughs) (laughs) i used to be a singer when i was younger and took vocal lessons and so everything was about like sing from the diaphragm don't sing from the throat you know that's how people Mm -hmm. burn out voices is like you want to totally use the the lower the lower regions so yeah makes sense very important Yep, where you've uh, shifted it uh, down, down yonder. Down, down, down. And it, and in this show, that's where the gods are, right? The gods are down, down there, I think they say <laughs> a few times. <laughs> the gods are down there. Down below. <laughs> yeah, they're chilling below. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and on, on that note. <laughs> yeah. Um. So this is the... Shift of perspective from episode slash minute 19, where we pulled out and we get uh, the view of this uh, half dozen-ish or so monitors and Sitterson is like, we are now live. So we're now we in- are live. Yeah. 
we are in the control room. So now we are shifting perspective into that uh, more macro where these guys are being watched. And this shifts into more of a view of the workplace drama of what is it like for these guys to, to work here? This is the nuts and bolts. This is, you know, we've had our coffee, we've had our uh, cliff bar and, you know, we're coming online, we're doing this. Yeah, and I like it. It was really nice to look at this minute over and over, partially because I think I got a little, um, had a little confusion or just didn't quite remember that how few people are in this room until later on when there's some celebrating going on. But that right now we've got the two, we've got Hadley and Sitterson, and then we've got our um, security man and then then we get Lynn coming up and Lynn's coming in to kind of check in and give some some raw data and and ask some questions and sort of work with the guys but beyond that they're on their headsets now the guys are talking with you know everybody else and and in our next minute we'll actually get a nice couple of shots of the the intercom system and the the phone that they use and so we'll get a bit more of an idea of all the different different sections of this workplace but yeah just kind of this minute really showed me how much like this room is big and it's full of a lot of screens and data and lights and and uh big important stuff is going on in here but it's really run by these two two guys yeah, and I do count after you hear that, like, you know, hermetically sealed noise of that giant ass vault door opening up and Lynn coming in and Truman, you know, scanning her credentials that there's a shot of Hadley and I counted that there are 11 screens in front of him. So he's got, you know, the majority are monitors and then there's also these other smaller little like TV screen looking things that are kind of off to his right and so there's like a tremendous amount of like buttons and levers and screens and a tremendous amount of information that's just at his fingertips there now this i can totally relate to so in our last minute we were kind of talking about the nature of privacy and and uh you know we talked a bit about these cameras that we use to maybe keep an eye on our our cars or our neighborhood and how kind of new and different that is at least for 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 me here in my home but the screens I mean I remember at a certain point just sitting in my living room and counting how many different computers were in that room alone yeah equipment wise I I'm just I'm looking around you know my office here and it's I've got a laptop and a scanner and you know a highfalutin printer and I'm on a microphone and there's a phone here and so there's a I just you know, there's a tremendous amount of technology that's just chilling here. Yeah, and it, it's really enabled us to do a lot of fantastic things. I mean, we get to talk with people all over the world through using this, um, you know, technology and, and connect. You and I connect on this this level doing this podcast. And, and you know, obviously, we ad nauseum all know how much information we can get through these screens. But it really does... Um, it does take some concentration. I don't want to get into a big, big discussion on obsessions with screens or all that, but I definitely struggle with that sometimes, especially when I've got a podcast going and I'm, you know, maybe promoting something 
through about you know my coaching program or I'm just trying to stay connected with my friends and family and people are posting photos on Facebook and stuff and I want to be engaged but then I really do sometimes just plug my phone into the charger in the bedroom and then leave it there so that I can have a bit fewer screens because it also makes it harder for me to concentrate when I'm watching like a movie or something if I have that screen available and I have a thought, you know, mm -hmm. like it used to be you jot down maybe a thought, you know, <laughs> or throw it on the calendar or turn to a friend and say, hey, help me remember this. But now that thought means, oh, I need to order something on Amazon or oh, this or oh, that. And oftentimes leads to doing something that's related to your phone or, you know, some other computer. So it does take... um a lot of mindfulness for me to kind of reconnect to the world, you know, with fewer screens or no screens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We actually have a rule that when we're watching a movie that we don't get on our cell phones because it's really easy to be triggered by a thought or, oh, shit, I got to do this thing. And then you get on the phone and then all of a sudden, you know, you're checking your email or you're checking your texts or you're getting on Instagram and or you're getting on IMDb and you're going down a hole and then, you know, 15, 20 minutes have passed and you're not connecting anymore with that person in the room. So, right. yeah, so we, we have a similar rule of, you know, there's no, there's no phone time when there's, you know, connecty, lovey movie times. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so that's, that's what all those screens kind of make me think about. But there's a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting dialogue and dynamics going on in this minute. What kind of stuff did, did you take away from this minute? Uh, well, the first thing, you know, since we're slightly shifting away from from screens is that there's a very, you know, when Hadley brings up Dana and Holden on the screens and he gets a call into operations, he's like, you know, we need a scenario adjustment. He uses their last names. Right. And in a little bit, we also get Lynn, who uses Jules's last name, Loudon. So there's a little bit of a separation a little bit of distance in using a last name versus a first name, which is, is on a friendly, intimate basis. It's We have to create some sort of nomenclature for you, but this is not personal. It's not intimate. It's, I guess, a step removed from scenario number one, number two, number three, but... Right. They're not subject this or subject that. They're mm -hmm. still a name, but it's not the first name, the one that kind of connects you to them being more of humans. Right. Yeah. We're, we're not on a first name basis with you. And also the when Hadley brings up Dana and Holda on the big screens, they're really close up shots of them. So Holden is the the shot they have of Holden is he's shirtless and it's kind of slightly above him, but it's really close to him. Like it's really zoomed in. And Dana's face almost takes up the entire screen. So wherever she's at, they've really blown it up and intimate. It's not that to, to take the throwback of when, you know, they're first show up at the gas station with the Harbinger where it has that view where you're a solid 30 feet away. This is like super intimate, almost like Silence of the Lamb style at the end scene where Buffalo Bill has got the, the night vision goggles on and he's like really, really close to Clarice. 
And right. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up Silence of the Lambs, too, because I was thinking of that where where it's made mention in the movie and certainly in the book. They talk a little bit longer about how when um, the young woman who has been captured by him, when her mother is talking about her, she keeps using her name on um on television when she's you know broadcasting and asking you know if you know my daughter this is her name and says her name over and over and over again to humanize mm. her to 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 her captor so mm-hmm. it's interesting that you bring bring that up um because that makes me think of that thing and and I think that's one of those tropes that's been carried on because it is a real supposedly a real you know psychological maybe assist is to to use that name but yeah here there there it's interesting i didn't really notice that before until you mentioned it that they've switched over to well it switched over for us because when we're in the world of of the gang the kids they're all obviously using each other's first names although sometimes when you hang out with friends sometimes their last name is the is the name that they use you know mm-hmm. I've definitely been I've been a Miller before you know, <laughs> I'm a Bennett now I used to be a Miller and I've definitely been called Miller before it's been a while well you know you think of like South Park you know everyone calls him Cartman they don't refer to him as Eric it's just it's Cartman right you know right. so there is that still that that becomes playful but this is not playful. This is in that military sense where, you know, you're right. This isn't about intimacy. But yeah, it's interesting, as you said, yeah, it's 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 serious. It's in that sort of play or you were saying how it's not playful. And yet there is a lot of playfulness in this minute as well. Uh, it's kind of a combination of of um, we'll talk a little bit more about this dynamic here between Lynn and Sitterson. But Sitterson's being kind of a dick, you know, <laughs> but Lynn doesn't seem really that phased by his way of being. Mm-mm. At least that's my take. And so, yeah, let's talk. I don't want to I don't want to get past kind of what you were you were talking about here. Yeah. So Lynn comes in and she's talking about Jules, but she's using her last name and she's talking about them wanting to what? Um, They are, well, she is recommending they, meaning the chem department, but her as a representative talking about, you know, we got the blood work back in Loudoun. Her levels are good, but we are recommending a 50 milligram bump of rohyptase to increase libido. Right. So something, whatever they've, whatever kind of research they've done, they feel like the libido still needs a bump. And we're going to see what that rohyptase bump does to her pretty soon, (laughs) right? In the upcoming minutes. Right, right. Because they're trying to drop it down to a dumb and sexy place. Right. Of which Citizen's like, hey, sold. So obviously this is part of their update of... We're trying to create some optimal levels here and they're having to run it past him. And uh, she is getting clarification as one does and saying, do we pipe it in or do you want to do it orally? And in that way, you were saying that Citizen's being a dick. He's like, ask me that again, only slower. <laughs> which she's not phased by, which is kind no. of, you know, it's it's like, oh, for fuck's sake, you know? <laughs> What is she? She calls him a pig? Yep. 
Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. So again, like I've watched this over and over and over today, but I don't, uh, the way my brain processes things, I was thinking about this the other day too, is it something to share with, with the viewers and the listeners, the viewers of the movie and listeners and fans of this movie is when you're researching and going over something like this minute by minute, you kind of learn more about the way you process information. And last minute we talked about, we're both, you know, outward processors and we talk things out. One thing I noticed though, is that I'll listen and listen and listen to a minute and I'll get the gist of what happened. But as soon as we turn off the sound, it is almost impossible for me to remember verbatim what anybody said. Mm. But that is true in my real life too. Like I'll remember kind of uh, the feeling of an experience over the actual words being used in the experience. So just a little little insight into that. Don't let that be, if you're that way too, don't let that be something that you feel ashamed of or something that keeps you from maybe doing a podcast like this because we all process information differently and uh, I actually often find new things while I'm sitting here recording the episode that I've never even noticed before and that in itself is just a time for me to notice things when the sound is off and I don't know what that means but just how I do things. Yeah, and I think that people are have different learning styles. Like, I am not an audio learner at all. Um, I'm a visual learner primarily. Visual, then kinetic, and then audio last. So I'm unfortunately one of those people where I have to really listen and pay attention to people's names because I will totally remember a face and I'll remember where I know you from and what conversations we had, but I will not remember your name. <laughs> and that's just i I have to see but the the other thing is is i'm a pretty i'm I'm an excellent visual learner because like i don't have to study things too hard if i read it i'll remember it Mm. if i see it i'll remember it but if i hear it 50 50 man yeah no it's it's good to know that about yourself it helps you understand more about the way to to kind of approach things for optimal, you know, success level and how you absorb information. And, and I'll say, you know, just to put a little extra button or a bow on that is that that was also very challenging for many of the bands that I've been in and memorizing songs. Like I could memorize the feel and the emotion of a song way before I ever got the lyrics down. And some songs I actually had to just put aside because I could never quite memorize the lyrics and it was really challenging for me and yet some songs you just the way they're written is so um, intuitively written that just almost memorize it instantly so Mm. it's interesting interesting stuff Mm -hmm. yeah yeah how we process information and that's pretty you know that's pretty pertinent to this minute because they're trying to slow down her cognition they're trying to dumb her down. Well, as we see here, you know, Lynn is very excited to share with Sitterson. Guess how we're slowing down cognition. And he's a little bit dismissive here. He's like, I don't know. And she rolls him over to the monitor and they switch over. And she's like, the hair dye. And he's like, oh, the dumb blonde. Very artistic. And so he doesn't really sound very like he cares. You know, she's really proud of this. This is a proud moment. This is like one of those work moments, which is really like, this is why this minute is so fucking weird because they're literally talking about how they're going to sacrifice these kids 
And she is taking a moment of personal pride in a job well done in facilitating that happening. Because we all have to find right. things that we enjoy about the jobs that we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. It is really interesting dynamic here. A lot of stuff happens in this minute. And for me, there's a lot of interesting body language things. Like I especially enjoy the way Sitterson is gliding around on his, in, in his chair, in his knockoff Eames office chair. <laughs> and, uh, and like I said, I think, you know, he is being a bit of a dick and kind of condescending, but I also feel like Lynn doesn't really um, take too much guff from that. Like, I don't feel like she minds that much, but it's been consistent. Like Hadley and Sitterson so far, all we've seen them do with her is be sort of dismissive and not really seem to care all that much about. We know they care because it's important that this scenario works you know, it's it's their job, but there's some sort of detachment that they maybe maybe they use, you know, as a defense mechanism or something here to to not not trust the process and just care about the outcome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And and that does come up a little bit later about how do we cope with this being our job, right? And I think that that's a really good point. I think that's a lot of what this move it, this, I think that's a lot of what this minute is trying to say is like, this is a job for people, right? So you're still having to show up and do what you got to do. And how does somebody cope with that? All the things that happen in a normal job, like you build a rapport with somebody, you have to still take your report to a supervisor and you still have to take pride in what you're doing because I need to feel good about showing up. And it's, and, and what you're also seeing here is it's not, it's not enough to know that you're saving the world, so to speak, because that, you know, is part of the reason why you're supposedly there. But you also want to be like, hey, I've done a job well done. Look how I have creatively made this scenario happen where I've made the dumb blonde, right? Like I'm taking right. pride in this. And that to me is really interesting that, you know, to say, and, and at the same time, you have a couple of like middle-aged white dudes who are being hella dismissive of an intelligent woman. And that in and of itself is a stereotype. And so this is just, just packed in. And then on top of that, you've got a screen behind them of Jules, who again, from that intimate point of view is, is shown in a close-up manner, who's really enjoying herself in the mirror. Like she's smiling, she's checking out her hair. She's like, my blonde hair, yay, it's good. And it just happens <laughs> to correspond with their discussion in this moment. Yeah, it's amazing how much sub subtext can be <laughs> shoved into a minute. Mm -hmm. And like I mentioned before, you know, uh, the um, creators of this, you know, Joss and, let's see, now I'm getting Sitterson and Hadley and Joss and... Goddard Drew, mm -hmm. you know, all mixed up is that, you know, they themselves said that they're kind of that, that Sitterson and Hadley are sort of avatars of them. And so, you know, how, what is their take on this and their relationships with women? And, you know, I, I don't want to get too deep in all this because it seems to be a little bit past all the social, social media hubbub, but, 
you know, Joss has certainly come under some serious scrutiny lately about his relationship to women and his, his, you know, feminism and his relationship with his wife or ex-wife and all that stuff. And so it, it is interesting to see that there, we are all these flawed people and we might be getting a little window into the creators of the show here with, uh, with these kind of dickish white <laughs> males that are running the show here. Yeah, and there's a double dismissive thing happening here because now we have the Harbinger who's calling in, in which Hadley's like, right. "Oh fuck!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So just before the Harbinger calls, I did want to call out this interesting little turn of phrase that um, happens here, and it's in the script, so it's not something that just got flipped it actually is in the script here so as you said citizens being a bit dismissive of lynn and she mentions you know the the chem department keeps their end up you know talking about this blood going through the scalp gradually and that this is kind of her little point of pride and um so she says that and then hadley's Actually, it says in the script that Hadley says it, but in this case, Citizen says, I'll see it when I believe it. And so he doesn't say, I'll believe it when I see it. He says, I'll see it when I believe it, which I thought was interesting that that it was scripted out that way, you know, uh, a flipped over version because it kind of... Uh, to me anyways, and I'd love to hear other people's opinion on this subject, <laughs> you know, what they think of that, because to me, it kind of is like, oh, okay, so if I said, I'll believe it when I see it, that's up to you. That's up to you to perform this thing. But if I say I will see it when I believe it, then that seems like that's more hit on him to decide to believe in something and then see the result. Yeah, the the reversal is a little confusing to me, to be honest. Because what it seems like to me is that this is another form of being dismissive, meaning that he has to have faith first to be able to connect the result. So some of this is... I think that there's a complex matrix that these guys are working with in all of these scenarios that they're trying to control and all these factors and conditions they're trying to control. And so part of the conditions they're trying to control and influence is from a, a chemical perspective. And so some of this, I and just my reaction to it, is that how do you measure the intelligence? And so we have a little bit of that sense where, you know, we've as an audience been privy to them dropping that, you know, she's, she's pre-med, so she's obviously somewhat capable there, you know, in school. But there's also not necessarily a real way that they have to measure the drop. So it's almost like he needs to have faith that that's actually doing something first. Yeah, yeah, it isn't real cut and dry. So if anybody else, you know, has views they want to share about about this, what that little flip means... I'd be happy to hear what that is, uh, you know, so yeah, it, it was just trippy. I didn't want to, I didn't want to pass by at least that that was a little scripted detail. 
Yeah, and I think that was worthwhile to bring up because it's a kind of a, it's like a, uh? Yeah, it's like a, <laughs> you know, not only because it's like you're saying reverse and you have to take a minute to be like, what are you trying to say in this moment? But also because this is a yet another dismissal of Lynn in this moment. You know, here's another example of these guys, you know, dismissing the smart brunette chick on the other side of the wall who's just trying to get some validation here for a job well done. Right. Yeah, and she's taking, uh, all that we've seen so far is her taking things quite seriously and doing, trying to do her very, very best. Mm -hmm. And they don't seem to really care too much. But we know they do care. So what does that mean? You know, mm -hmm. like the, maybe this is just their, their defense mechanisms keeping everything kind of at, at arm's length. Even, even though at arm's length, she's able to push him playfully over <laughs> his chair, which I really love. <laughs> There's a lot of really beautiful, playful um, choreography that goes on in these this minute and the next that I, I really enjoy. Yeah, with the chairs, the rolly chairs do add this other kinetic element to things. Yeah, and it kind of reminded me of different jobs that I've had, um, both in the, the flirting side of it, where there's, I mean, he, he's being kind of piggish, yes, but I've also definitely been in scenarios working with people of, you know, all different sexes and sexual inclinations where uh, there's this sort of playful flirtiness that we kind of punch each other in the arm about, but not feel too bent out of shape. And, uh, but also this choreography of movement that happens when you work with people on a regular basis, like especially in coffee houses where it's sort of tight quarters you get into this groove with people where you're sort of effortlessly moving about them and you know pouring hot liquids and kind of putting your hand on you know their back as you move behind them so that they know that you're there and they're not going to back up into you and so this just kind of evoked that to me this feeling of camaraderie between all of them that is is played out in the way that they move about the space and that's fair to say, too, because you're right. Lynn doesn't take the uh, sexual harassment to heart. She's not like, oh, that we see anyway. And that it does, There, there's a safety zone that's been created here that um, being off the cuff is acceptable culturally between the three of them. Yeah, and I've worked at different places where that has been all fine and dandy and then also where things have crossed the line and... Mm. and I've worked at places where it's been both. Like I worked for a rather large company that is mostly defunct now mm. <laughs> that uh, started in Sacramento, California. And it, um, it was sort of known for having very old school, you know, sort of a look from the outside as if it was led by this kind of hippie idealist person. But there are a lot of real old school people and structures going on within the the corporation. And I worked at this warehouse with a bunch of friends of mine, a lot of other creative types, a lot of other musicians and, and artists and, and, you know, kind of uh, weirdo people. And we worked at this warehouse but at, and and at first you kind of thought like oh this is like the coolest place you know we get to listen to music and we're working and dealing with music and and books and all these uh sort of counterculture cool things in the warehouse in particular that I was 
that I was working in, but uh, we would have a lot of fun and flirting going on within that place. And then every once in a while, somebody would just step over the line. And sometimes you just don't know where that line is until somebody steps over it. And some lines were stepped over and people were like, eh, whatever, I don't care what you're doing to me. It doesn't bother me. And then other times it would really uh, strike a chord and you'd have to go, you know, talk to HR and file a complaint and <laughs> and, and shit would go down. But it, it was really interesting. It really was a place to ex- kind of explore what it was that was triggering to you or um, when you felt like you were being, you know, mistreated for maybe your gender or your race or anything like that. It was quite a fascinating microcosm of that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's, it's, man, we could talk for hours about this kind of stuff, but. Bo <laughs> show. So, the- so the harbinger. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting a bit of the Harbinger here right at the tail end of this minute. Yeah, so the Harbinger calls in. So you have uh, presumably some sort of, but somebody in operations is calling in or who's like, you know, I've got the Harbinger online too. And Hadley's like, well, you know, oh Christ, can you take a message? Like he just doesn't want to deal with it. And you know, the last line is, mm, I don't think so. So <laughs> the guy on the other end is like, no, dude really wants to talk to you, basically. And they're just kind of like, eee. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a pretty funny little, you know, place to end. And obviously we're going to pick up on this Harbinger conversation in the last next minute. But one thing I wanted to mention, too, because there's, this is a more dialogue-heavy minute, is that we're also seeing a lot of conversation about adjustments, because uh, I think you mentioned it uh, earlier on in this this podcast minute, but that um, that Dana and Holden have changed rooms and there's an adjustment to be made with um, just, you know, letting whoever it is needs to know that. And I noticed in the script that it was slightly different. There's just a little bit more detail in the the original script so I was just gonna look at that real quick okay so in the script here it says uh, all right places everyone we are live so that's pretty similar there with Sitterson Hadley stares at Dana's monitor keys the microphone in front of him so this is Hadley engineering we've got a room change poke or polk is now in two McCreary is in four Story department, you copy, will need a scenario adjustment. So I don't think they use the word story department in in the episode, I think. In the, I'm sorry, in the episode. We're in the episode. <laughs> in the movie, I think they use something else. Story department guy, voiceover, over speaker says, have it back to you in 15. Citizen glances up and then that's when Lynn enters. Mm-hmm. So... This uh, have it back to you in 15 from the story department isn't isn't quite the same as what they have it in the movie. And so I just thought that was interesting that the, the, the idea that there's the story department that's like maybe making new suggestions of how they're going to try to kind of push and manipulate the gang around. Right. That there's some sort of narrative superstructure that they're working within. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. I don't remember hearing him ask about... I, I heard operations, but I didn't hear story department yeah. make it to production. Yeah, and I think, too, just, just circling back with what we were saying before about Joss and Drew, is that story department, to me, harkens much more to a set, a movie set. Yes. Who's in charge of the actual plot and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you'll cut that down. I didn't have anything to say after you said that. Yeah. I don't Who's know. in charge of the actual plot? Okay, let me think of something here. You don't have to. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we gotta go somewhere. We gotta go somewhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, who's in charge of the actual plot of this? So yeah, just using the word story department, maybe, you know, maybe they decided that was a little too too close to home or something to use that those that language, but who knows. So, yeah, so we we've got a little tease of the harbinger here popping in. Um is there anything else you want to talk about here for this rich conversation of minute 20. <laughs> no, no, I'm good. Awesome. So, well, you know where to find us. I'll make this short and sweet. We're at cabinminutecast.com. And uh, if you look back at our minute one, you'll see that in the show notes, I've included a delicious guacamole recipe that you can try out if you like. Let me know if you do or if you made it, but added some of your own special sauce to it <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's about all I have to say until we come back on Friday how about you Molly yeah I, I will add that uh, after my husband heard you know that episode and I was like oh you know check it out like there's you know recipe from Heidi about the guac and he's like you know I really had no idea that you know it kind of sounds like you know as many times as you mentioned guacamole that you'd be you know willing to do sexual favors for guacamole and I wasn't aware <laughs> of that from you up until the episode so I don't want to give people the wrong impression I do enjoy guac but not quite to that degree <laughs> cheesecake That's however to clarify. i just want to oh my <laughs> <laughs> there will be no special touches for guacamole just i'm just putting that out there so yeah on that note um thanks so much for listening in to episode 20 and we'll see you back at the cabin <laughs> <laughs>